Well, I invite you to turn in your copy of the scriptures to the book of John, Gospel of John, chapter 17. John chapter 17. We're going to begin reading um, in verse 6 through verse 19. This is Jesus' prayer for his disciples. Uh, we're going to, there's really a portion within this that we're going to be focusing on a little later this morning in our study in the book of Jude. John chapter 17, verse 6 through 19. I'll bring out a New King James Version, as is my custom. God's word declares, I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours, and all mine are yours, and yours are mine. I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father. Keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled." But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of this world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but they should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. The Epistle of Jude, verse 1. We are still trying to grasp the depth and the breadth of the description of the recipients of this very precious letter. And verse 1 of Jude simply says, Jude, the bondservant of Jesus Christ, a brother of James, and brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. We have spent three weeks understanding what it means to be among the called. We are called into and invited into a kingdom, into a feast, into a relationship, and that we are not forced into that, but we are invited. And as with any invitation, you must respond. The invitation does not bring you into the event. You must respond to it. And so we have looked carefully into that, and uh, hopefully we have come to some conclusions that are much more biblical than many in our day with their concepts of the fact that God chooses some and not others for his kingdom. 
Rather, it is we who are erred in not accepting the invitation. It is not God's error to not invite. And so we come now to the second description of the recipients of Jude. And again, we must go to it as we did with the first one with a primary responsibility of examining ourselves, does this describe me? Once we understand that we fit the category of the recipient of this letter, now we recognize that the rest of the letter means something because it was written for me. Because I'm one of these, the called, the sanctified, the preserved. And so this week and next week, we're going to look at this idea of our sanctification, which is a very uh, important and very uh, precious word in theology that we use. And we could get caught up in uh, approaching it as something hard to understand, but it really isn't. Uh, We know what a sanctuary is, is a place that is set aside for safety or deliverance for worship, perhaps. Uh, It is built upon the uh, idea of holiness, of being set apart, is what you will most often see it um, in your margins and such being redefined as, that to be sanctified is to be set apart. And that is that you are um, different, that it is not normal. It is set apart from that for a specific purpose, objective, goal, Uh, and that's what we want to look at, is this term. It says that we are sanctified, that the recipients were sanctified in the the Father, by the Father. And so when we look at this, by God the Father, we're going to see our preservation in Jesus Christ. We could very quickly, uh, might draw out and say, well, the calling comes from the Holy Spirit, but we're not going to insert words that aren't in our Bible. But the implication is certainly there, and we know that it is the Holy Spirit who convicts, and that conviction is the invitation of God. That once we sense that we have something that's holding us from the kingdom, that uh, God is at work to convict us of sin, of his righteousness, of judgment to come, that he might bring us to repentance. And we need to respond to that. But we come now to the work of God, which we, again, just like the calling, are not just the passive elements in that work, okay? This is going to be, uh, when we get to sanctification, this is also going to be a responsive part for the believer, and we're going to see that in God's Word. And again, we can make our way by our own imaginations and develop our own doctrine, or we can go to the Bible and let it define these terms and how it happens, How are we set apart by God, the Father? And does this mean that we are set apart before the foundations of the earth, that some will be saved and some will not? And we're actually going to use one of the very texts that some of the Calvinists use, that they use to defend that God is only interested in some of humanity and not all of humanity. But what we find, rather, in that that text we've already read this morning, is quite the reverse, as we're going to see. But let's, uh, before we get into this too much farther, to understand our, the, the condition of being sanctified and the work of sanctification and our part that we have responsibility to respond to God's working, uh, let's go Lord in prayer. Lord God, we do thank you 
for your love for us. We thank you for this privilege that we have to look into your word. And as always, we pray your spirit might guard this time from error and from opinion and from our own philosophies that we want to interject there, our own ideologies that we want to put there, but that we might see the simplicity and the directness of your word, bring it into our lives, our minds, our hearts, and obey it. And that we might have what you desire for us, that is our, that our joy might be full. And so we pray again, committing ourselves to be attentive to your spirit, sensitive to his leading, and responsive to your word. In Christ Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are sanctified by God the Father. It is very appropriate, again, just as we did with calling, I am not going to try to define this and develop this whole idea on my own initiative. We already have the very words of Christ that help us to do so in, in John chapter 17, and a very powerful presentation of Jesus Christ's understanding of our sanctification. Uh, and he's going to use that term, and we're going to notice that it is in the context, not of talking about his own work, um, as we're going to see, but of the working of God, and the instrument that God uses to accomplish that work. And let's make sure we understand that distinction. There's the work that God does, and the instrument that God uses to perform that work. And I don't want you to confuse those two. It would be very easy to do that in the midst of a message like this is to think, well, pastor, you just believe that, that the instrument is doing all the work. No, I fully understand and I want you to fully grasp the fact that God is the worker of our sanctification. But the instrument, the, 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 the tool that he uses to accomplish that in the believer is very specifically and consistently described in God's word. And so we come to it in, in John chapter 17, in Christ's prayer to the Father, and he makes it very clear who he's speaking to. And we, there is no way after reading these verses that you don't understand that when he gets down to the end, he says, sanctify them by thy truth, thy word is truth, um, that he's not, He's talking to God the Father. You can't miss it. I mean, he talks about, these are the ones you gave me, uh, and, I'm, and I kept them except for the one that's going to perdition. I've taught them your words. He is speaking to his Father. This is his prayer. We have very few of the prayers of Jesus really given in full, and here we do have it. And so we find this presented um, for us, perhaps one of the fullest prayers of Christ that we have recorded for us in Scripture. And we find that right away, what did God, what did Jesus understand his responsibility before his Father to do, not to the world, not even to the elect, but to a very specific group of people who he's praying for, and that is his disciples. This is the reference point that we want to talk about. He's not giving us the, <laughs> he's not giving us the, uh, an insight into the uh, work of God, of who he chooses and who he doesn't choose to save. He's talking about his disciples of during his time on the earth. And he is going to reference the world. Um, I'm not praying for the world right now. I am praying for these who are my followers. 
he is going to pray later on in John chapter 17 for everyone else who is going to join them, who are going to become followers of Jesus Christ. But for this portion of the prayer, beginning in verse 6 through um, verse 19, he's going to focus in on his disciples. These ones, and we know it because he says, I've kept them all. He's considered his job completed toward them. I'm going to go. I'm not in the world. In fact, in fact he's so far along in the, the passion that he, it's, in his mind, he's ready to go to heaven. He's already there. He's just hours away, really, at the time of this prayer. Hours away from completing his assignment. And he says, I'm not in the world anymore. I, I'm going. But these are. And I've kept them, preserved them. That's going to come out next in two weeks when we get to the preservation uh, through Jesus Christ. I've kept them except for one. Well, we know immediately, and he says, the one that goes perdition. Well, that's Judas Iscariot. So we know who he's talking about. He's not talking in general terms about who gets saved and who can't get saved. No, he's talking about specifically the apostleship, those that were his immediate followers, not just the 12, but a few others. We know that there were at least two other men that were with him from the beginning all the way through. Uh, one of them is going to be selected in the book of Acts to take Judas Iscariot's place. And so he said, these ones that you've given me, they, and we're going to talk about how they became that. They had a responsibility. It wasn't just the random pointing of God, take that one, take that one, take that one, as we're going to see. Even in this context, that wasn't the case. And Jesus Christ is going to de declare that here in this prayer. So let's look at it very carefully. Uh, yes, there is a, this statement that he says in verse 9 and 10, I don't pray for the world, for those whom you have given me, for they are yours, and all mine are yours, and yours are mine. I am glorified in them. And if you took these two verses out of their context, uh, yes, you might conclude that only some people God is interested in saving, the ones that the Father gives him. But that is not the context. This is not a generalized description of salvation. This is about the apostleships. And let's go back and let's see what some of the foundation of this idea of what made them his and the Father's. Well, if you would just back up two or three verses, you would find out that in fact, these men that he is talking about had a, a responsibility, didn't they? Let's find out. Verse 6. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. They have responsibility to keep the word. Keep reading. They have known that all things which you have given me are from you. They have come to an understanding of God and the relationship between God and Jesus Christ. For I have given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them. And we all want to pull that part out. And they have received. And have, surely, and have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. So while some want to focus on two verses and negate the others. There are others who want to focus on those two verses and negate the first. The fact is, is that God issues out these invitations, these callings. And now we have the necessity falls upon us to respond. And Jesus describes their response. They heard the word. They believed the word. They now know it. They recognize it. They, they have even begun to understand it. Christ says, they're followers of you. 
They're followers of me, and because they're followers of me, and everything I've taught them is from you, they're followers of you. Did God want them? Yes, God sent out the invitation. Were there others who did not respond to that invitation? Yes. There were others that were invited to be apostles? Yes. They heard the invitation and said, uh, I got a family responsibility. I'm going to go bury somebody. I'll, I'll come back. <laughs> go bury your dead. What am I to you? Let the dead bury the dead. Come follow me. He immediately says, you cannot have a priority above me and claim to be my follower. Oh, you know, my, my parents are old and they need to, be, need to take care of them. Then go take care of them. But until you're ready to deny your father, mother, brother, sister, cousin, uncle, grandparents, you're not worthy of me. If you're ready to deny them, come follow me. And so many were called, as we said, many were invited, but they could not be chosen because they didn't respond to the call, to the invite. And so we find that even in that condition, um, and then others started following him, right? They began, and then they heard some teachings that were hard to accept. You know, you, might, you have to eat of me, you have to do these things, and, and they're like, oh, that's kind of out there a little bit. That's a little too far for me. And they left off following after him, the Bible says. There's some disconcert, obviously, about among the disciples about that, but he says, this is the truth. You have to accept it in full. Now, they were still thinking on the physical plane, and he was speaking on the spiritual plane, but there was still that necessity. And so we find uh, that there's a responsiveness, and Jesus Christ describes his part and their part. And when these two come together, God's invitation and man's response, now we come into a relationship and now you can rightly be said, I am the Father's. And so all that belong to the Father belong to Christ. They have that oneness about them. And so he says, I have these ones that follow me from the beginning. They heard, they accepted, they understood, they've known, they've figured it out. They believe it. And I've preserved them, I've kept them. But I want you to notice the instrument. Now, while we say God is going to sanctify, and that's going to be Christ's prayer at the end of this, his specific request for them is that they be sanctified. Lord, sanctify them. Father, sanctify them. Set them apart. Make them a peculiar, unique body. Uh, Preserve them for your purposes, that they are uh, able to be worked with and through. Set them different from the world. And that's really the force of these statements he makes about the world. Are you in the world or aren't you? Are you of the world or aren't you? And that is the context of the idea of sanctification. So when we get down here to chapter 17, verse 17, sanctify them, we immediately, because we've read the other verses, understand that when Jesus Christ says sanctify them, he is describing that we are to be set apart from the world. There's the world, and there are his followers. Set them apart. 
be separate. And you have to put that word, when you read the word sanctification, you need to read the understanding of separation. That there should be a distance, recognizable distance, spiritually, physically, mentally, emotionally, every way, relationally. There should be a distance between how the world thinks, functions, their priorities, their concepts, their philosophies, and those who are Christ's. So when he says sanctify them, he has already given us in the verses prior what he means by that. I don't have to make up an idea of sanctification. Uh, he already has given it. He says, we're in the world, but we're not. The world hates them. In verse 14, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Christ said, I've been in the world. I'm not in the world anymore because I'm hours from being in your presence. But they're still in the world, but the world hates them because they are not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. They have been set apart to be like me. That we are of Christ and not of this world any longer. Then when he comes to the verse 17, we have an understanding of what it means to be set apart. We're not set apart from each other. We're not set apart from God. We are not set apart for uh, blessing. We are set apart from the world. That we are different. Positionally, first of all, we are different. And this is entirely God's working to positionally make us new. We are new creations. We are born again. We use that terminology to describe ourselves as being different. Something's happened to me. Uh, God has interjected himself into my life, and, and now I'm different than my siblings and my parents, than any other blood relative that hasn't accepted Christ. I'm a different creature than they are. I'm different than my buds that I went to school with before I was a believer. They're still in the world. They're still of the world. I'm no longer of the world. And I can't hardly tolerate being in the world. And the world hates me because I am of Christ. And there's difference. There's a distance there. I am separate from them, set apart. You do understand that separate is the set-apartness. That's what the word means, separate. Do you see even the same word? Okay. Sometimes we forget where words come from. Separate is just set apart, smashed together, crammed together, separate. Set apart. We're separate. Now, does that mean I can't talk to them, I can't work with them, I don't do these? No, I still engage them, but I engage them very differently, in a set-apart manner, in a sanctified manner, just as Christ engaged the world. How do you engage them? By always calling them to spiritual truth, spiritual truth. Spirit, I want to invite you, invite you, invite you, invite you. Come follow me, come follow me. Uh, here comes the Samaritan woman at the well. I mean, how low can you go? A woman was a Samaritan who is promiscuous at the well. What are you doing talking to her? I'm here to invite her to worship God in spirit and in truth. 
So yes, he's engaging the world, but as one who is not in the world, or I should say of the world. I'm engaging you from a distance, calling you, inviting you, come, follow me. Come out of the world and follow me. So what is the instrument that God uses to accomplish the sanctification? Well, verse 17 says, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And there's your instrument. God the Father, Christ is talking to God, Father, set them apart, separate them out for a relationship with us, with, to be one with us, separate them out by your truth. Well, what is the truth? The word of God. He's not referring to himself where he says, I am the truth and life, um, and where he is the word that John uses later. These are all lower capitalizations. He is going all the way back into what we already read in the early part of his prayer. What did he say? he used as an instrument to call them and to keep them and to teach them. He said, I have spoken to them your words. I have given them your word. Over and over and over again throughout this prayer, what do you see as the instrument that Jesus used, which is a gift from God, so that we can sanctify others and ourselves? It is the word of God. Do you see it? Let's look at it really quickly. Now, you, you, we, we want to read through it again. All right? So, verse 6, I have manifested your name to the men. Manifested means I've shown. I've shown them your name. Where do you get the name of God? Right out of his word. End of verse 6. And they have kept your word. They have known Verse 8, for I have given to them the words which you have given to me, and they received them. How, what is the mechanism, what is the, what is the instrument that God uses to sep separate out his children? It is the word of God. It is his revelation. This is the instrument. I say, oh God, I wish you'd sanctify me, make me holy, set up, and holy just means again set apart, and there is an element of righteousness, and we're going to talk about that a little bit more next week, um, but we come in and we say, well, I want to be sanctified. Well, okay, God will do that. Pray to God to sanctify you. Now, you want to know how he does it? It isn't just, you know, wave a hand and say, there, you're sanctified. God will sanctify you, but he does that through his words. And for a believer to sit there and pray, oh, sanctify me, sanctify me, sanctify me, and never open the word of God is ignorant of how God works. What we really want from God is for him to be our fairy godfather. You know, and come along, sing a little ditty like in Disney, and go blink, and then angel dust or fairy dust falls on us and we're that. You know, and mice become horses and pumpkins become carriages. That's what we want. We want just God just go doink and ta-da, I'm sanctified, I'm holy, I'm righteous and I don't sin no more. God doesn't work that way. 
He's not your fairy godfather. And by the way, if that's how you work with your children and try to just sprinkle dust over their head and make them wonderful, you're going to be gravely disappointed because it doesn't work in anywhere but fairyland. The best thing you can do for your children to bring them into adulthood is to teach them responsibility and make them work. Even as children. You're part of this family, you have chores. You want to eat, work. That's the reality of life. You want blessing, you must obey. We all understand good parenting, I hope. Well, God is a good parent. God the Father. Oh, he's ready to bless you. He wants to sanctify you, set you apart. He's going to use an instrument to do that, and that is his word, and it is a means by which he can see your response. Do you want to be sanctified? Really? Well, I want it, but I just don't want the work. You know, there was a lot of times in college I said, I want the degree, I just don't want to do the study. You know, I got some young people, my family now, they're still in college, and they want the degree desperately so they can be done with school. Well, you got to do the work. And so it is a sanctification. We have to respond. And the instrument that we need to respond to is his word. And we need to be in it. We need to be reading it. We need to be studying it, meditating on it, memorizing it. And ultimately, we need to be obeying it. So we have a responsibility in this. Yes, it is the work of God on our behalf to set us apart. The instrument he uses to do that work is, a, is his word. And his word, his truth that he gives us, now we must respond and obey. And it is relational. Sanctification, just like calling, is a relational word. God initiates, we have to respond. God responds to that and, and furthers it, we have to respond again. And Christ says, they followed you thus far, but notice, he doesn't think it's the job's over. They've already followed him for three years. He has taught them everything. They have believed what they have heard. They recognize this is the Son of God that takes away the sins of the world. This is God in the flesh that he and the Father are one. They have accepted all of that. And yet at the end of that, Jesus Christ doesn't say they have arrived. He says, set them apart even farther. Sanctify them. Separate them even more by your truth. There is a journey and that journey requires you that you can be set apart more and more unto God for his ministry, for his service, for a relationship with him. And the mechanism by which God does that is his word. And that's why our church is so heavy into his word. We're not heavy into experience. Because it doesn't say sanctify them by your experiences. It doesn't say sanctify them by your feelings. It says, sanctify them by your word. This is, the way, this is the way Christ worked for his disciples, and he understood this is the instrument that God uses to set apart his children. And so I'm going to pray, Lord, keep up the work, sanctify them, and I know the instrument you're using is your truth, and I know what your truth is. It is your word. And I want you to notice something 
Christ himself becomes our example of the necessity of our response to God's initiation of sanctification. Look at verse 19. It says, For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. If this is just a unilateral work of God to the believer, as soon as you confess his name, that he sanctifies you, bam. Um, what is Christ saying here? He's, he's, just, he's praying to the Father. He recognizes the Father has the role of sancti sanctifying us. Um, but notice he says, I sanctify myself. I have a responsibility. You provide the truth. I receive the truth and I obey the truth. And that is how I set myself apart and so he's showing that just as I sanctify myself, I respond to the word of God with obedience. I'm an obedient son. The father says, teach it, I did. The father says, go, I went. The father says this, I do it. The father says, you have to die, I'll die. I will obey the father and I'll set myself apart. I am separate from the world. And I continue to be separate from the world as a response to your truth. And this is what is our part. God has given us his word. That is the instrument, the mechanism that he has provided to set us apart, to make a difference in our life. And by the way, when that difference starts to mature, when that, even, even before it matures, when that difference really gets some traction in your life, you know what Jesus says is going to happen in his prayer? Joy will fill you. Did you see it there? In verse 13, Now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. The fullness of joy is dependent upon your willingness to be engaged in the process of God's sanctification of your life through his word. And if you have a joyless faith, there's the problem. You are not allowing God to sanctify you, and the way God sanctifies you is through the ministry of his word. Get into his word. Read it. Study it. Meditate on it. Memorize it. And... Come here at taught and minister it to others in your home, in your church, in your life. Minister it. This is where the joy fullness is fulfilled. Christ's joy. And do not confuse joy with comfort. Remember what the word says. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame, and set down at the right hand of the throne of God. He looked at the cross with joy because he saw past it what it would accomplish. Very discomforting, I would say. But yet, he had joy to do it because he knew what it would do for others. The joy of suffering. And so, we come to this understanding of sanctification, that it is relational, just like the idea of invitation, of calling, is a relational element, that God initiates it, he provides the mechanism, the means, and now it is for us to respond, and uh, that we are in this part of sanctification ourselves. And we have to have our own 
investment there. Now, very quickly, some of these I'm going to handle in the future, but I want to take you to some other passages very quickly um, because I want you to see the consistency of God's word, not just this. You might say, well, you just focus on one passage. Well, let's look at the other ones. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 5 very quickly. You have to get your Bibles and kind of move around. And uh, let's just do a little perusal of sanctification uh, in some other scriptures. We're going to spend a lot of time in Ephesians 5 next week. Well, maybe not. Maybe I'll do it today. Ephesians 5, 25 uh, and following. I really just want to read verse 26 today. If I have time, I'll get back to this. Let's read verse 26. That he, that is Christ, might sanctify and cleanse her, which is the church, with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy without blemish. And we're going to look into this a lot next week. Um, but uh, the whole idea is, where does it come from? What is the instrument? It is the word. The washing of the water of the word. This sets us apart. How do we come more like Christ? Well, from what I can tell, it's the word. You have to get into God's word. Make it a part of your life. Obey it. Meditate on it. Focus on it. It goes on. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians. Just kill that beast. 1 Thessalonians. Chapter 4. Let's just read verse 1. It says, Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more just as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. We're going to talk about the rest of this next week as well. But I just want you to see that the, the, the foundation of your sanctification is that you know the commandments and that you receive the word. And here it's described as we exhort you, Lord Jesus, you should abound uh, what you ought to walk and to please God. You've been received. You have given, something's been given to you. Your sanctification is bought and paid for. It is wrapped and presented to you. Your sanctification from God is inherent in his word. That as you spend time in this book, it will set you apart. You go, oh man, that's not true. We're going to have, we're going to deal with some of that in the book of Jude. We're going to have to set ourselves apart from the world. And it's going to be a little frightening in some of those things. We're going to say, well, no, I've always been taught. Well, but has it conformed with his truth? What you've always been taught. Is it in agreement with his word? Because his word is truth. Men have a way of making truth very relative, don't they? And this I want to spend a little bit of time on, because it's critical to understanding. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. 
And it's going to be a, make, have a big role in the rest of Jude. We're going to talk about false teachers, so we better figure out what truth is. We, have a period, we are in a period of time of unprecedented relativity when it comes to truth. It just changes all the time, doesn't it? You see, I grew up, even in the 60s, where it was really beginning to be challenged what is truth, but still in our school systems, truth was truth. You know, and you had the food pyramid. That was truth. And now they're saying the food pyramid isn't quite right. It's supposed to be some other shape. I don't know. Um, and then we were told you shouldn't eat any of this. And then we were told that cholesterol is a naughty thing. And now cholesterol, no, no, that's not really the problem. And it's, it, the medical community can't decide what truth is. It's relative. It keeps changing. But every time they come forward with their findings, they present it as if this is definitive truth. But it's not because it's not from God. It's from man. And that's why we don't focus our attentions on the teachings of man, of my teachings, but on God. Because what I say isn't truth. It can change. My attitudes and philosophies and, and perspectives have changed on a lot of things over the course of my life. Hopefully I've been willing to conform them more and more to God's word and, and I'm still in that process. It is part of my sanctification of being separate from the world and recognizing the world is not in any way friends with God. And in the arena of truth, they are the enemy of God. And this is perhaps one of the most Horrific ways that the church has set itself up to fail in these days. When we started going to Genesis chapters 1 and 2 and trying to insert evolution into it, because we were sure that science had truth. Science has no truth. And I remember growing up with the concept, well, all truth is God's truth. And boy, I heard that in the college, and it was the big philosophical debate among Christians back when I was in school in the 80s, and uh, all truth is God's truth, and we have to investigate all of it. I was like, no, <laughs> God's truth is all the truth. That's a very different statement. What that means is that I have to take the the things I experience, the things I see, taste, touch, feel, the things people say, and I do not accept any of it as truth, I come to God's word and I examine it against God's word because God's word is truth. And so the world says, oh, look, this, 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 and, and now it's just starting to dissolve in front of them and, and their only thing they can do because evolution is just a, another religion, false religion, um, Mr. Roberts should include it in his Sunday school class on comparative religions that he's doing right now. Just add evolution because it's just another religious belief system and it's just crumbling apart. The only thing they can do to explain more is just make the world older and older and older because there are no mechanisms to make any of it happen. And so 
they think by making the world, I mean, remember, because it was just a few million years old, then it was hundreds of millions of years old, now it's like billions of years old. That's the only thing they have. They just keep extending history into the, so far back that we can imagine, because there's nothing of reality in our experience to conform with their idea of truth. But yet, in all of our schools, textbooks, science journals, it's all presented as absolute truth. And a horrific thing happened in the 70s, and that was when the church tried to take the science community and accept their finding as truth, not realizing the findings are manipulated, interpreted, and changed, and vary. We just accepted. If it's a scientist that says it, it must be right. Wrong. If God says it, it must be right. <laughs> Period. When we come to this book with that attitude, everything changes. And you are ready to have the full joy of real sanctification. And let me tell you, it's a, uncomfortable. <laughs> it is uncomfortable. And you're not going to get a lot of applause. You do what with your money? <laughs> Give it away. What? You don't have... You have to have retirement. You have to have insurance. You have to have all these things. You have to. That's just... No, that's the wisdom of men. It's not God's. God says... Take no thought for tomorrow, what you'll wear, what you'll eat. You can't change anything. God can take away every reserve you stock up for yourself. He could take it away to, before tomorrow. Take no thought for that. Serve me today. That's sanctification. That's totally different, isn't it? That's different than everyone else. All they think about is the future, it seems like sometimes. They're stocking up, stocking up like the rich fool in the scripture who says, I'm going to build bigger barns, tear these down, I'm going to be able to just lay back, relax, eat, drink, and be merry. And God's response is, you fool, I can take it all away right now by taking your life. Now what's all your stockpiling going to do for you? Your life's over. You see, God's word is truth. And once we begin to grasp that and recognize these are the commandments, this is life, this is what God has given to us, and the will of God, our sanctification, is that we should be responsive to it. And we don't sit here and pray, sanctify me, sanctify me, sanctify me, waiting for God to, to wave the magic wand. He's already given us the tool. The, the, it's already there. The power of our sanctification is the word of God. Obey the commands and you are sanctified. That's how he does it. And that's why when we get to the armor, the, the passage here in Ephesians 6, uh, we go through that whole, take the helmet of salvation and, and the breastplate of righteousness, the gird yourself with the belt of truth. You know, put that on your, gird it. 
And then, um, what does he say? He says to take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Notice it's not your sword, it's the Spirit's sword. He'll use the sword that you've girded around. So here's the, here's the concept here. You've put the belt on and said, I'm going to accept God's Word as truth. God then takes that sword through the Spirit, it's the Spirit's sword, and He works it in your life to set you apart, to separate you from the world. How can I become more different than the world? Becoming more like Christ will make you more different than the world over and over and over again. Your tastes, your appetites, your interests, uh, your entertainment, your everything will become less and less like the world and more and more like Christ, like heaven. You will spend less and less time in the realm and in the in the company of the world's ideas and more and more in the company and realm of God and his truth. That's sanctification, being set apart. And as you go through the passages that talk about your sanctification, you will see again and again that it is his word that is the mechanism. I have one more passage I want to take you to before we close, and that's 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And this is going to set us up for a little bit for next week. I think I got the wrong Corinthians. Oh, I'm in the wrong chapter. No wonder. Sorry about that. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we find this description of God's will and his purposes in us. And we're going to reference this next week, but I want to really just go down to verses 19 and 20 and understand why the need for sanctification it says, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. Sanctification ultimately is simply the work of recognizing whose we are. We are God's. And I want you to understand that. It was in the Lord's Prayer. Lord, these are yours. And they're mine. Sanctify them. Sanctification is, the dry, is one of the driving interests. I was going to say the driving, but it's one of the driving interests of the Christian life. Because it is the outworking of ownership. It is me recognizing I want to be separate from the world because I'm not of the world. I want to be more like Christ because I am His. I am His. I belong to Him. Every facet of me belongs to God. Here in, in Corinthians, he's really concerned more about the physical and it's in the context of, of being, a more, being a morally pure person. And so he's going to focus on the body here, but ultimately he's saying, listen, everything you are is God's. You can't compartmentalize this deal. 
All right, God, I'm going to give you my future after death, and I'll give you my heart, my soul. I'll give you my soul, my future after death, and uh, you take care of that, I'll take care of the rest. And we serve ourselves, our, these, this fleshly body, our interests, our, our, our heart and, and relationships, and we're just going to trust God with the future and with our spirit. And Paul says, uh, don't you know that God gets it all or none? There is no intermediate halfway place here. Either God is the owner or you are. And if you are, then you are of your father, the devil. And so sanctification ultimately boils down to whose are you? And if I am God's, then I want God to set me apart because I recognize they aren't God's. They, they don't belong to God, but I do belong to God. How can I show that? How can I be that? Well, you can't do it by continuing to have this, your greatest longing in life to be like the world or be in the world. Do you see Christ saying, I'm not in the world anymore? I mean, he hasn't even died yet. He's like, I'm not in the world anymore. And we have a, a nice fun time with Elizabeth Schweiger, our old neighbor up at Charity, because she's, I think since she was 65, she was ready to go to heaven. Now she's 90. Uh, she's, the whole time I've known her, she's wanted to go to heaven. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. Well, God's not ready. you got work to do. Uh, but, oh, that's the spirit. I am in this world, but ick. I don't want to be of this world. And I'm not of this world because I look at the world and I say, ick. Look at that junk. And I want to be apart from it. I want to be separate from it. I want to be holy. I want to be sanctified. I want to be God's child. Which is different. Requires you to be different. We're going to see what it means, what it looks like, and, and very specifically next week within the context of, of some of these other passages we've already read, but we're going to look into it more fully and a couple of others that I haven't taken you to. But there's an expectation of God that through his word, you're going to be more and more in appearance what you already are positionally, and that is his. That when people look at your life, they say, well, you belong to God. Do they say that now? You belong to God. I can see it in your life, the way you live. You belong to God. You march to a different drummer. And when they say that about you, you march to a different drummer. What's so weird about you? Here's your answer. I belong to God. <laughs> I am separate from the world. I am not of this planet anymore. I am God's, and he is mine. And I want to obey his word. I know the truth. And I'm separate. This was Jesus' singular, forceful prayer for those who have already believed to God. God sanctify them. And I will lead them by example. I've sanctified myself. 
so they can see they need to be sanctified. And the mechanism, the means to be sanctified, obey the Father. And the Father's already given his word. You have it before you. So there is not just a magic wand that God will sanctify you when it says sanctified of the Father, of God the Father in Jude. It is rather relational just as the calling was relational. So you who need to respond, God has done his part. Will you? Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for your word. For it's the truth that it is. And Lord, we have too long gone to the world seeking answers, gone to our own experience, experiments, and valued them higher than your truth. And Lord, truly, as your word says, let all men be a liar and God true. Lord, give us this value of your word that we might be truly separated unto you. It might be different because we are in your word and of people of your word that it defines us. Lord, where we have failed to do that, where we muddy those waters, muddy that testimony, that we dim the light of the gospel with the wisdom of men. Lord, forgive us. And renew today within us a commitment to your word that we might truly be set apart unto you. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen.